Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. From the passive investor's perspective, maybe in a couple of deals, they'll invest as debt investors, and then a couple of deals, they'll invest as equity investors. Or from your perspective, you can bring on debt and equity investors. Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is. And that's when it is February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five. So you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter Take5, T-A-K-E-5 when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing Enjoy this episode, and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com, or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. So each week we air a podcast series about a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer a document or spreadsheet or some sort of resource for you to download for free. All of these free documents, as well as previously recorded syndication school series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. 
This is going to be part two of a two-part series entitled How to Structure the GP and LP Compensation. So if you haven't already, I recommend going back and listening to part one of this series where we discussed the different parts of the general partnership and the responsibilities and ownership percentages of each of those parts. If you don't want to listen to that, just to summarize, the five parts are going to be, number one, the person who fronts the due diligence costs. Two, the person responsible for acquisition management, so everything from finding the deal through closing on the deal. Then you're going to have the sponsor, the loan guarantor key principal. That's the person who can qualify for financing and therefore signs on the loan. Part four is going to be the person responsible for investor relations, so everything from raising the capital to the ongoing communication with investors after the deal is closed. And then fifth is going to be the person responsible for asset management. The percentages for those are 5% for the person fronting due diligence costs, 20% to the acquisition manager, 5-20% for the sponsor, 35% for the person responsible for investor relations, and then 20-35% to for the asset manager. And as I mentioned in part one, these are general ranges for the ownership percentages, and it's going to vary from deal to deal and syndication team to syndication team. And it's all negotiable. So for more detail on those, check out part one. In this part, we're going to discuss the other side of the coin, which is the structure of the LP or the passive investor compensation. So we're going to talk about first the two types of investors. And then we're going to walk through the investor decision tree, which will also be a free document for you to download. So you can go through that exercise yourself. So let's just jump right in. There are really going to be two types of passive investors. They're going to be lumped into two different types of groups. One is going to be an equity investor, and two is going to be a debt investor. So from an equity investor's perspective, it's going to be the most profitable because the equity investor participates in the upside in the deal. So they're not going to receive their money back until the sale of the apartment However, they're going to be, in return for their capital being used to fund the project, they're going to be offered an ongoing return as well as a proportion of the profits at sale. So this cash flow is going to come out of the profit remaining after the GP pays all operating expenses as well as the debt service and sometimes the asset management fee. I know for Joe's company, and what we're also going to do, we're going to put the asset management fee in second position to this ongoing return because that promotes alignment of interest. We don't get paid until after the passive investors get paid, but ultimately that's up to you. You can take your asset management fee first and then pay out the return, or you can do what we do and pay out the return first and then collect your asset management fee. This ongoing return for equity investors is commonly referred to as the preferred return. The preferred return is not a guarantee, but is an offer to the investor saying, hey, you give us this capital, up to a certain percentage of the first cash flow will go to you before we ourselves get paid. This percentage of that remaining cash flow can be anywhere from 2% to 12% of the equity investment paid out annually. What part of the range you're at is going to be based off of the experience of the general partnership and your team. So if you're first starting out, the preferred return offered might be a little bit higher because there's going to be more risks with a newer syndication team. Whereas someone who's done 10, 20 deals 
could offer a little bit lower preferred return because the investors will have more confidence in the GP's ability to hit that number. It's also going to be based off of the risks of the project and the investment strategy. So, for example, the preferred return on a distressed investment strategy might be 12%, but since it's distressed, you're not going to be able to hit that 12% right away because occupancy is at 60% and half of the people that are already there aren't paying rent. So we have to reposition the project for a few years. So that preferred return will likely accrue and will be paid out in one lump sum, most likely at closing or once cash flow is able to support that preferred return. If you're doing, say, a turnkey strategy, so you're just buying a property and really doing nothing to it, just cash flowing, the preferred return could be, say, 5%, because again, you're not pushing the rents up and adding value to it, but also it's going to be less risky because everything's already done. And it's going to continue to cash flow how much has been cash flowing for the past three, four, five years. And then for the value add strategy, the common preferred return is going to be 8%. It's still a lot less risky than the distress strategy because the property is likely already stabilized. You're just updating the interiors and maybe upgrading or adding in some new amenities to push those rents up. So less risky than the distress, but it's got a little bit more risk than the turnkey strategy. So 8% is the common preferred return. Now, once that preferred return is hit, typically there's going to be some sort of profit split. So overall, at the end of the business plan, the profits will be split between the passive investors and the general partnership in there between 50-50 and 90-10. So I'm pretty sure what Joe does is they offer the 8% preferred return and then the profits are split 70-30 and then they catch themselves up at the sale to make sure that they hit that 30% number. But again, it's really completely up to you. We could just do a pure profit split instead. So you could say once we pay all the operating expenses and debt service and the asset management fee, all remaining profits will be split 70-30, to the LP, 30% to the GP. Now, the issue with that strategy is that there is a reduction in alignment of interests. With the preferred return, they get paid first before you get paid, whereas for this pure profit split, you both get paid at the exact same time. Now, that's on an ongoing basis. The equity investor also participates in the upside of the deal. So for the value-add investment strategy, for example... Since you are going in and raising rents, you're going to create a lot of equity in the deal. So when you go to sell the property, you might have added a couple hundred thousand to a couple million dollars to the value of the property. So at sale, after you pay back the loan and all the different closing costs, let's say you've got $2 million remaining, that will get split between the limited partners and the general partners based off of whatever profit split was agreed to. So overall, the equity investor gets paid on an ongoing basis in the form of a preferred return or a profit split. And then at sale, they will also get paid out based off of the profit split that was set or whatever agreement was set in the documents at the beginning of the deal. Now, most common equity structure for a value-add deal is going to be the 8% preferred return and then the 50-50 split of profits overall. It's overall, so it's not 8% preferred return and then the profits are split. It's overall 50-50 between the GP and the LP. Now, the other type of investor is going to be the debt investor. So from the debt investor's perspective, it's going to be the least profitable. So it's going to be less profitable than the equity investor. However, there is much lower risk. So after the operating expenses and the debt service is paid, 
the remaining cash flow must go to distributing a fixed interest rate to the debt investor. So unlike the preferred return, if the GP is unable to pay the fixed interest rate to the debt investor, this is assuming that they're still able to cover the operating expenses and the debt service, but that remaining cash flow isn't enough to pay that fixed interest rate, then technically the debt investor can take control of the property. So it's much lower risk because the investment is based off of the collateral, so they could take the collateral if they're not paid their fixed interest rate. Whereas for the preferred return, if the investor offers 8% and only can distribute 6%, there's really not much the passive investor can do except not invest with that person anymore. But if they were a debt investor, they could technically pursue the actual asset itself and take it over. Now, since they are debt investors and not equity investors, they do not participate in the upside of the deal. So at sale, they are not given a portion of those profits. Instead, they are going to be offered a fixed interest rate for a set amount of time. And then like a regular loan, there's going to be a balloon payment where the GP must return 100% of the investment. So this interest rate is going to be similar to the preferred return. It's going to be based off of the GP's experience as well as the risk factors associated with the project and the investment strategy. So if the GP is doing first or second deal and they're doing a distressed property, then that fixed interest rate is going to be much higher than a general partnership who's done 20 deals and are doing a value-add strategy. But overall, since it's a less risky investment from the debt investor's perspective, the fixed interest rate is going to be lower than the preferred return would be, all other things being equal. Now, as I said, there's going to be that balloon payment after one, two, three, four, five years, whatever you negotiated with your passive debt investor. So you're going to have to give them all their capital back. And this is going to be done before you actually sell the deal. So this would occur most likely with a refinance or a supplemental loan. Now, from your perspective, having debt investors is going to be the most profitable for you because if you think about it, if you have a debt investor with a three-year term, you pay them 8% for three years while you implement your value-add business plan and you create a ton of equity to the point where you're able to distribute all of their capital back and then you have 100% ownership of the property. Now, the drawback is you have to add enough value to distribute all of those returns back which means that if they are funding 30% of the down payment, then you're going to have to add 30% value to the property in order to pay them back. So when you're underwriting the deal, you got to make sure that that's what you're projecting is that 30% increase. But another option would be to do a combination of the two. So when I was talking to a bunch of attorneys and lenders and they were explaining to me what they typically see, they'll see a large chunk of the money raised will be a debt investor. So it'll be maybe one or two people who are bringing the majority of the capital. And then they offer him a fixed interest rate for a certain amount of years, and then that's it. And then to cover the remaining 10 to 40 to 50% of the equity raise, they bring on 20 different equity investors who invest 50K each, and maybe their family or friends who aren't necessarily worried about a large ongoing return, but want to see that money double in five years. So that way, you've got your equity investors who are participating in the upside of the deal as well as getting the ongoing return. But then you've got your debt investors who only funded 50 to 70% of the actual investment. So now rather than having to add 30% value to the deal, you only need to add 20% value to the deal in order to pay them back. 
you'll again own the majority of the property and all you have to do is worry about paying those 10 to 30% of the equity investors their ongoing return and then paying them their upside at the sale. So overall, the best partnership structure that you create is going to be based off of, number one, I guess technically what you want to do, but also what your passive investors want to do. So if you start having passive investor conversations and they seem more interested in a low-risk investment vehicle to park their money in for a few years while receiving a lower fixed interest rate that simply beats inflation, then you could potentially structure your deals with debt investors. But if you start talking to investors and they're more interested in something that offers a higher ongoing return, that's not necessarily guaranteed, but they're interested in a higher return as well as the potential for that large lump sum profit at sale, then you're going to have to structure your deals as equity investors. So you can either, one, make the decision yourself and only find investors that want to be debt investors or equity investors, or you can kind of base it off of the conversations you're having with investors and kind of what's going on in the market at that time, what your competitors are doing. And of course, again, I said you can diversify. So from the passive investor's perspective, maybe in a couple of deals, they'll invest as debt investors, and then a couple of deals, they'll invest as equity investors. Or from your perspective, you can bring on debt and equity investors. But of course, make sure you consult with your attorney first to make sure if you're doing a combination of these two, that you're doing the right security offering tied and things like that. And just make sure you're doing everything by the book. So as I mentioned, we're going to go over a structured decision tree that you can go through step by step in order to create the specific compensation structure with your limited partners. Because you're going to want to know what the compensation structure is going to be pretty early on. I did mention that you can kind of feel it out with your investors. But if you remember back in the previous series about how to find passive investors, we went through the 49 common questions that the investors are going to ask you. And one of the most obvious questions they're going to ask you is how much money they get paid and how the deal is structured. So you need to have an answer for them. You can't just tell them, oh, how much money do you want to make? That's going to be unprofessional. You need to have at least a general structure in mind in order to run that by them so they can make the decision on whether or not they want to invest with that structure. So the best way to do so is going to be to go through a decision tree, which as I mentioned, we will offer the free document that you can download at syndicationschool.com or in the show notes of this episode. So it's going to be run through like a series of questions and then based off of your answer, you'll go down one side of the tree or the other side of the tree. So the first question is, do you have equity investors or debt investors? So circle one, are you going to bring on equity investors or debt investors? If you're bringing on equity investors, then will you offer a preferred return? Yes or no? If yes to the preferred return, what will the preferred return be? So that could be, as I mentioned, between 2% and 12%. So there's a blank for you to fill in, and it says the preferred return percentage is blank percent. For example, the preferred return is 8%. So you go ahead and fill that out. That's going to be one part of your compensation structure. Next is going to be what is the profit split after the preferred return. So it gives you five different profit split examples to choose from, 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, or 90-10. And again, that first percentage is for the LP, and the second percentage is for you, the GP. Now, I haven't mentioned this yet, but the next question is going to be, will you set a hurdle? So what that means is that, let's say you offer the 8% preferred return, and you do a 70-30 profit split, 
year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, you hit that number, and then you go to sell the property, and you do the 73 split entirely, and let's say that results in a 25% internal rate of return to your investors. So that's great. That's totally something that you can do. But as you gain more experience, or starting out, again, kind of depending on what you want to do and kind of where your investors are at, you can set a hurdle. So following the same scenario, you offer 8% preferred return year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, and you hit the number. And then at sale, you distribute your profits based off a 70-30 split. But let's say once you've distributed three quarters of the profits to the investors, they hit a 20% IRR. Now you can set 20% IRR as a hurdle when you initially start the agreement. And then after that hurdle is hit, the profits can now be split 50-50. So that might result in a 21% internal rate of return to your investors while you are able to make more capital. So for the question, will you set a hurdle? If the answer is no, you can just leave it blank. But if it's yes, what will that hurdle factor be? So in the example that I gave, it was the internal rate of return, which is going to be the most common. But technically, I guess you could set it off of a cash on cash return as well. So pick IRR or cash on cash return, or if you want to do some other hurdle or other factor, by all means, I guess that's technically possible. You could do equity multiple or gross rent multiplier or something like that. Although I haven't seen that before. And then at what percentage will that hurdle come into effect and what will be the new profit split? So fill in the blank. Once the LP receives X percentage of whatever factor you use, the profit split is blank slash blank thereafter. So for example, once the LP receives 13% IRR, so the hurdle is going to be IRR and the percentage is 13%, then the profit split is going to be 50-50 thereafter. Now, going back to the other side of the decision tree, the question was, will you offer preferred return? And we've done yes. What about no? So if the answer is no, you're not going to offer preferred return. That means you're doing that pure profit split. So now what is the profit split going to be? Of course, again, based off of the team's experience and the risks of the project and your business plan. So that could be anywhere between 50-50 and 90-10. And then you're going to have that same question about the hurdle. So are you going to set a hurdle? such that once the return or IRR or cash and cash return or whatever reaches a certain number, then that profit split changes. So again, as an example, once the LP receives 13% IRR, the profit split is 50-50 thereafter. Now that concludes the equity investor side of the decision tree. Now what about the debt investor side of the decision tree? So if you circled debt investor, the next question will be, what interest rate will I offer? So fill in the blank. For example, you offer a 12% interest rate to your debt investor. The next question is, what will be the length of the loan? AKA, when will you return all of the debt investor's capital? So fill in the blank. For example, it could be three years. And then lastly, the question will be, how will I return all of the debt investor's capital? So you have the option of circling refinance, supplemental loan, buyout, or fill in the blank with some other type of strategy for turning all of their capital. So I highly recommend just using this decision tree to create your LP compensation structure. Again, remembering to keep your investors' goals in mind since you've already started those conversations. And then also maybe kind of go through the decision tree to run a few different scenarios just to kind of get the hang of setting these compensation structures.
So that concludes this series of how to set the compensation structure for the general partnership and for the limited partnership. In this episode, you learn the differences between the debt and the equity investors, as well as ran through the decision tree for actually setting the compensation structure based off of whether you are going to bring on debt investors or equity investors. And as I mentioned, we will be giving away the decision tree document for free. So you can download that at syndicationschool.com or in the show notes of this episode. To listen to part one of this series, as well as other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndications, and to download that free decision tree document, go to syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow on Follow Along Friday. Best ever listeners, best ever conference. That's where you want to be, February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number 5 to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there. Besteverconference.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month. Then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.